Welcome to the podcast series from the National Association of Directors of Christian Education. During our podcast, we focus on topics in ministry that will be a practical resource for those serving in the Lutheran Church. As a benefit for members of NADCE, we hope these podcasts will encourage you in your calling and equip and strengthen you in your ministry area. I'm Shelley Haynes, your host for this episode, where we're going to focus on crisis in ministry, or more specifically, how to minister immediately following a crisis in your church or in the surrounding community. Recently, I had the unique opportunity to speak with Pastor Dan Meckes from Journey Lutheran Church in Oxford, Michigan. Pastor Dan shared some interesting insights into how his church staff ministered to the community after a high school shooting happened near them in 2021. He shared their steps their ministry staff took to address mental health care, building relationships with synod and civic organizations to support their efforts, and he also shared specific resources everyone has access to when facing a crisis. So, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and take some time to learn how you too can be a person of hope during and after a crisis. Hey friends, it's Shelley Haynes, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Pastor Dan Meckes. Pastor Dan serves as a pa- on the pastoral staff of Journey Lutheran Church in Oxford, Michigan. On November 30th, 2021, the community of Oxford was changed instantly by a tragic high school shooting that took the lives of four students and injured seven others. The people of the congregation continue to seek to bring hope to those in need, knowing that our hope is found in Jesus. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking about the important topic of ministry uh, after a crisis or during a crisis. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, there's all kinds of different crises, but uh, the one that we're, I would like to share with you a little bit about is is kind of one that came suddenly, came as a surprise, um, totally unexpected, um, and many times that's the way crises will occur. It will catch us off guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, what had happened that day or, you know, how you kind of found out about what was going on? Can you share it? Can you kind of take us into that space with you? Sure, I'd like to do that. Uh, a very quiet day. Uh, Oxford is a community about 30 miles north of Detroit, a very suburban area, a very quiet little community, uh, really with no no history of any kind of issues. Um, it happened on this day in November that uh, uh, we had had a staff meeting, and after staff meeting had broken, and I had made my way home. And just after I'd gotten home, I got a phone call from the other pastor, Matt Schuler, that I work with, and said, hey, can you have your TV on? which I said, no, I don't, and so quickly turned it on, and, and all the news broadcasts had, were, were there at the local high school. A little before 1 o'clock, uh, uh, a student, a 15-year-old student, had uh, decided had brought a gun into mm-hmm. there, and there's a lot of other details there that I won't share, but had brought a gun into school, was not really targeting an individual, uh, was just because of uh, problems in his life and, and anger and things like that, uh, went into a restroom, uh, took a gun out of his backpack, uh, came out in the hallway and began to shoot. All students were in lockdown into rooms. Uh, many students had, uh, in panic, had broken down uh, windows 
and had ran out windows, broken windows to oh. a, a local uh, store to kind of get security and, and to get away from it. Sure. Uh, most in there. Uh, relatively, the, the gunman was taken quietly, uh, arrested and things like that, but uh, kind of a community completely in turmoil, like what's going on, uh, what's happening, how did this happen, and, and many parents just unsure. Yeah. Um, after I found about it, I started uh, texting uh, different parents that I knew that had students in the high school, uh, particularly like one family had uh, uh, two daughters, a uh, junior and a, a freshman, and just texted the mom and said, hey, you know, I'm not sure, you know, exactly what's going on there. I said, you know, hoping the girls, praying the girls are fine, let me know. Mm-hmm. And found out later that afternoon that the, the junior had been one of the girls who had been shot. Oh. She hadn't been but was, was injured uh, quite a bit. And her little sister was there and witnessed the whole thing at the time. Oh, uh, thankfully, she was not shot. Uh, we had we had another uh, student there that was shot, who was a member of our congregation. Uh, none of the ones that were killed were members of our congregation, um, but the one girl had her little sister in our preschool. Uh, so we had a lot of different connections. And being a small community, uh, a lot of people know everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't have somebody kind of in your family or in your relationship or maybe not even your neighborhood. You knew somebody who was friends or close proximity with, with one of these families. Sure. Um, so it was it was a community time. Of, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, that night there was a prayer vigil. And then the other thing was, is we quickly learned that a lot of people, if they had any kind of insurance coverage, um, either it did not cover mental health care or had uh, high deductibles. Oh. A lot of people, uh, especially in the situation when you see a shooting like this at a high school level, these are family units that are affected. Sure. Probably in one child in each family. um, And their their budgets are strained raising a family. Definitely. Um, they couldn't add the extra costs of mental health care. And so we, we decided we would put together, it's something we just, in a very simplistic way, called Caring for Oxford. Uh, this would be a fund in or, uh, put together where people could apply for mental health care financial assistance. Wow. Uh, and a very simple process that we put together. Uh, we started off not knowing at all, you know, we wanna make sure we cover all the facets of care for people and then at the same time too we we had to take some time to pray together yeah and encourage one another and lift one another up and everybody after that meeting said you know we should have been doing this regularly we should have been coming together and and meeting and talking and saying how can we as this uh the church network in our community how can we be supporting our community making sure that they know we're here that we want to help in in any way that we can. Yes. Uh, and so that, that has grown our community. I, I will be honest that uh, here almost two years later, um, it's not as strong as what it was. I mean, res- people respond usually very much emotionally right away, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of like see uh, things, they, they see a perspective that things are better and people are healing and we need to move on. And so they go back to their old ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other congregation in our community and ourselves we, we realized early on after a few of these meetings and numbers were dwindling, uh, we realized it was going to be our two congregations that would have to be the spearhead of kind of rallying people together and keeping this together. And, and that continues to, to go on. Um, you know, we, we keep in constant communication about uh, the needs that we're aware of. 
and we don't necessarily as the two congregations have the resources to supply the answer to all those needs but we're, we're building this network and i would say the one thing that our, our, our county your oakland county has done uh by supporting a resiliency center there uh they have put together a place where people can come together there's all kinds of additional uh, materials grief support oh, you know good. what do i do uh, they're constantly offering uh different kind of uh, classes and things like that uh they put together a drop-in center whether it be for students for adults and things like that but just hey if you're if you're not feeling right and you you know, want to do something and be around people they come in and do some crafts and things like that so that's kind of a, a focal point that we kind of funnel people is, is go there because mm-hmm. those are the people who are aware that you know that there are people still struggling and people still hurting yeah. and they, they want to they want to you know assist you encourage you in whatever way they can that's so that is so good and i agree i think sometimes people come together in partnership for a time there are ministry demands a lot of our own individual time. So I imagine there is always this fear of like, well, I have, I have all these pressing things I also have to do. You know, it's, it's easy to let some of those other things go by the wayside. However, meeting with the other pastors and having a, a kind of a beat on your community is so important. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, this family of the student who, uh, who brought the gun, did, would you have said, did anyone know him? Was he part of a faith community? Was he a, Would he have been, been identified as a one of the vulnerable in your community? Or was it really a complete surprise to the leaders in your community? Uh, he was very much uh, a loner. Mm. Uh, not many of the kids really knew him. They, they knew who he was because they would have him in classes. But, I mean, he was a quiet kid. Um, not a troublemaker in any type of way. Um, so very, uh, very unexpected. Uh, and now that his time passes and, and they're getting into all the court proceedings and charges and things like that, uh, a lot of things have come out uh, where they're really, he was, he was a young man whose parents, uh, it, it certainly appears to be that ignored him, really didn't parent him. Uh, there were many times, uh, as, as the news is reported, his parents would go out, and when he was nine years old, his parents would go out to the bar for the night and leave him home all by himself. Oh, uh, poor guy. And he'd, and he'd kind of uh, he'd kind of cried out for help in, in different types of ways, uh, but those cries were very much ignored by his parents. Uh, he had even told them, he said, I, I need help, I need to see somebody, and they didn't listen to that. Oh. Um, so it's a very sad circumstance yes. and things like um, that. His, he has already pled guilty uh, they're working right now on whether he will be charged as a juvenile or as an adult. Um, his parents, and this is kind of a first type of case like this in the United States, uh, his parents have been uh, were arrested a few days later, and they have been in jail since, and they are basically being charged um, with an accessory to the murders because they had, they had purchased the gun for the young man uh, four days before the shooting. Mm. They had taken a shooting range to teach him how to shoot. Uh, it, it just a lot of sad circumstances that surround it. Yes, definitely. And wow, that is really that's really heavy stuff. I'm I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the community relationships that you were talking about before, previous to this tragedy, did you and and for those that are listening. Um, you're a second, you would call yourself a second chair leader. Describe your sort of position on your staff. Yeah. Um, 
Journey is kind of a very unique place. Um, we are a congregation that on January 1st of 2021, uh, we were officially began. Okay. Uh, we were a, a congregation that began as uh, two congregations that dissolved and then merged to start a new ministry uh, together. And the highlight of the ministry together was, is we were going to seek to serve our community and reach out to our community and share Jesus with our community. And so as we organized, it was right at the time that uh, COVID was starting to come in. Um, it kind of held us back from how are we going to fulfill this role of how we connect with our community. And then it was only 11 months later that the shooting occurred. Oh. Uh, we don't see that as a, a gift from God in any type of way. We wouldn't call it that. But certainly it was an answer from God uh, who kind of placed us in a position to say, you know, we are looking to, to be with the people that we are surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have had that opportunity to do it. Um, my position is uh, as the... Uh, I'm, I'm called the executive pastor. We have a lead pastor who processes through. He casts the vision. Uh, he is kind of the one who's who's leading us as we go forward. I'm kind of more the, the nuts and bolts uh, type of person, mm -hmm. administrate watching over those types of things. And uh, when this occurred, neither one of us has a background with anything like this. Mm. Um, I'm thankful to say I didn't. Uh, I'm certainly... Uh, appreciative of the ways I've been blessed in learning, uh, but a lot of it was coming to him and saying, okay, what do you think we should be doing? How does this fit in with our mission and ministry and mm -hmm. direction we're going? And uh, it was one of those ones, since nobody has walked there before, and very few have, um, we need to do this together. Yeah. And so it, it certainly was uh, suggestions that he had, suggestions that I had, uh, people that we knew that we could individually work uh, reach out to, uh, come back together and say, now how, how do we do this best together? And, and the whole time, honestly, as we did it, it was with a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, faith and trust that, uh, God, we don't know where it's going, but we know that you can lead us where we need to be for, for you to reach people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, was, it was a lot of working side by side. Uh, like I said earlier, we have a family life minister. He'd only been on board uh, a few months, about six months. Oh, wow. uh, so this for him so it's like uh mike you know we need to, uh, to trust you mm -hmm. especially this role uh, of contact you know in our congregation with with youth and their families and things like that uh, so read them and, and we were kind of breaking up you know okay i'm going to contact this segment of the congregation you contact this segment to see if you're okay if you need anything and you know mike we said we want you to uh since you minister to them and, and are building this ministry those are the group that you're going to do. And we would report back. We would share and um, certainly say, you know, hey, I discovered one family doesn't have a youth. You know, Mike, right. how about you get a hold of him? Or vice versa, he says, hey, one of you pastors, I think it would be good for you to step in. I think, you know, he says, I prayed with them, but I think they might want more. Yes. Uh, so it was, it was very much a team approach as, as we worked on this together. And it, it really, it required that. Yes. Uh, because there was so much in, in so many areas that you didn't know what you had to cover, but you wanted to make sure you touched bases on everything. That is so good. And would you say that those relationships on your team have continued at that level? Or how how has that impacted the ministry of your team going since then? We We ask each other much more frequently, hey, how are you doing? Mm. How's it going? That's good. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this month's podcast sample. We hope you are encouraged by it. 
To hear the whole podcast, members can log into the member area of our website at nadce.com. If you're not a member yet, we would ask you go to nadce.com and complete the membership application so that you can enjoy all the benefits of membership. Benefits include joining us at the Meeting Tent and Emmaus Table online community groups, receiving our quarterly publication, and receiving a discount to our conference that happens every other year. We wish you God's blessings on your day.